Let's open our Bibles to the little book of Habakkuk, where we'll take a verse there that does speak of God's holiness. Habakkuk chapter 1. I do not know of another word in our language more repugnant to the flesh than holiness. It is so contrary to our flesh and to the world and to the devil himself that it is a struggle to preach it. It is a struggle to hear it. It is a struggle to do it. I trust that what the Lord Jesus said of his sleeping apostles can be true of us and that will not be quite so blatant in our slothfulness when he said the spirit indeed is willing but the flesh is weak. Holiness is so pure, so godly, so different from the world that our flesh despises the Word. It it makes your skin crawl in your flesh. Because holiness does not allow you to pamper your flesh, nor to please your flesh, but to live separate unto God Himself. To be zealous of good works. Because it is the holiness of God that makes Him beautiful, and it there is no room for any compromise or foolishness in the presence of God. Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 13. Thou art of purer eyes than to behold evil, and canst not look on iniquity. Wherefore lookest thou upon them that deal treacherously, and holdest thy tongue when the wicked devoureth the man that is more righteous than he? Habakkuk the prophet knew that God could not look on the Chaldean nation for long. He was using them to punish, but he could not look approvingly upon them for long because of what it says in the first part of the verse. Thou art of purer eyes than to behold evil, and canst not look on iniquity. Let's do a little quick Bible study. It says that God is of purer eyes than to behold evil. And yet the Bible tells us the eyes of the Lord are in every place beholding the evil. Now, should we close the book and say it's full of contradictions? Or should we understand that there is an elliptical sense of these words that we are to grasp. When Job said, Why then should I think upon a maid? Did that mean he never thought about his maidservants in taking care of them, in hiring and firing them, and giving them their daily assignments? Or did it mean he never thought upon them sexually? And so when we read this, and it says, Thou art of pure eyes, then to behold evil... We understand it in the sense, Thou art of pure eyes than to behold evil approvingly, and canst not look on iniquity with acceptance. That's how we understand the Word of God. We don't just read its words. We want the sense of these words. And I want you to grasp that the God we're worshiping this morning is of purer eyes than to approve sin in your life. You have never met anyone like the Lord. You can sin. And through a preponderance of decent living in the rest of your life, you can satisfy most men. 
You can sin, and through the hypocrisy of your lips, you can get yourself out of trouble with other men, even in our judicial system. But you will never do any of that reasoning with the Lord God in heaven. You will stand naked before Him. Heaven and earth will flee from His face. All things are naked and opened unto the eyes of Him with whom we have to do. Nothing is hid from the Lord. He is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of your heart. You cannot discern the thoughts and intents of mine. I cannot discern the thoughts and intents of yours. But there is a day coming in which the blazing eyes of the Lord Jesus Christ will pierce our souls and we shall give an account for all that He discerns and has discerned every day of our lives. And He is of purer eyes than to behold any of the evil He finds there in an approving way. We worship a holy God and we will all stand before Him and we had better prepare for that day. He is holy and we cannot worship Him acceptably without holiness. Let's look at some other references. Job chapter 15. Job 15. Let's let the Word of God speak to us and may God the Holy Spirit use these words that He inspired to convict us, to convert us, to convince us, to chasten us, that we would confess our sins and stand before Him with holy souls and clean hands and righteous hearts. Job 15 and verse 15. Behold, speaking of the Lord God, He putteth no trust in His saints. Yea, the heavens are not clean in His sight. Saints can stand for sinners saved by grace, and they can also stand for His holy angels. Because heaven was not clean in the sight of God, because there was pride and rebellion on the part of some there, and they were cast out of heaven. Even heaven is not clean in His sight when there is sin there. Job 34. We want to remind ourselves that God is holy and how important that holiness is. This is a subject hardly preached anymore. Because holiness means that you have to change your life. You cannot live like the world because the world is the opposite of holiness. They are profane. They are unholy. And the Christians around us are unholy. And if the truth be told, we are too unholy some of the time in our own lives. And it is that, that's the reason why this is being preached to you. Elihu said in Job 34 and verse 10, Therefore hearken unto me, ye men of understanding. Far be it from God that he should do wickedness, and from the Almighty that he should commit iniquity. For the work of a man shall he render unto him, and cause every man to find according to his ways. Yea, surely God will not do wickedly, neither will the Almighty pervert judgment." This is something you can count on. We cannot truly count on each other like we can count on the Lord. It is a certain thing. 
God cannot and will not pervert judgment. He will not do wickedly. He is righteous and perfect and pure and holy and good in all His ways. This is His holiness. He is pure from any stain or spot of a false and sinful motive. He is pure and and spotless from any evil. He hates all compromise. The smallest degree of compromise he despises with holy hatred. He will not tolerate compromise. You cannot pretend in the sight of God. You may think you're pretending, but he sees you naked and exposed to him. And you'll give an account for it. And brethren, we all must examine our hearts and beg him to forgive us and commit our souls to go out of this place in a couple of hours from now, committed to living holy lives, holy thoughts. Lord God, forgive me that foolish thought and confess it and turn our thoughts to Him. Beg Him to forgive us our foolish speech and turn our speech to be noble and good and to feed souls and to be full of grace. Look at Psalm 11. We have read Psalm 5 this morning. And anyone listening to this sermon, go and read Psalm 5 and emphasize verses 4 through 7. In verses 4, 5, and 6, we have a description of the wicked and how God cannot and will not tolerate them, but He hates and abhors them. But David explained in verse 7 how in the multitude of God's mercies He would approach unto Him and in fear He would worship toward His holy temple. We have a cousin to Psalm 5 in Psalm 11. I hope that some of you know that. There are cousin chapters in the Bible. There are twin chapters in the Bible. There are cousin and twin verses in the Bible. And sometimes you ought to know them. They're helpful. When there is a twin in the Bible, we do not mark up the pages with redundant. God the Holy Spirit is giving us a point of emphasis. And so we have Psalm 11. Look at what it says and see how similar it is to Psalm 5. I'm going to go to verse 4 again, and we're going to read through verse 7. You say, that's convenient. Psalm 5, verses 4 through 7, and Psalm 11, verses 4 through 7. You got it. The Lord's kind to us sometimes. He's always kind to us. But His precious Word has many things in it that we want to discover. Verse 4, the Lord is in His holy temple. Does that sound familiar to Psalm 5, 7? The Lord is in His holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes behold. His eyelids try the children of men. The Lord trieth the righteous, but the wicked and him that loveth violence his soul hateth. Upon the wicked he shall rain snares, fire and brimstone, and an horrible tempest. This shall be the portion of their cup. For the righteous Lord loveth righteousness. His countenance doth behold the upright. Now, brethren, here again, let's get the sense of the words. The righteous Lord beholds the righteous and the wicked. But He beholds the righteous with His countenance of approval and favor. So when it says His countenance doth behold the upright, it's more than just observing them. It is observing and blessing them by His favor, and He compasses them as with a shield. 
But notice, it says of him that he is in his holy temple, and his eyes behold everything that we do, and his eyelids try the sons of men. And he hates, according to verse 5, those that love violence, and those that are wicked, his soul hateth. You will not see this reference, nor will you see Psalm 5-5 on big placards in sports venues. They will show you John 3-16 because they love to presume upon a God's love that they have made to their own imagination. But the God of the Bible in Psalm 5-5 hates all workers of iniquity, and the wicked and him that loveth violence, his soul hateth. Psalm 11-5. This is the truth of God's Word. We will not be partial in the Scriptures. We will deal with all the Scriptures. You do not want the God of Heaven to hate you. Lord, thank You for loving us from before the world began and setting Your affection upon us through Jesus Christ our Lord. Turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 7. We are considering the holiness of God. How He cannot stand wickedness, nor violence, nor foolish men. His eyelids try everything we say and do and think. He discerns our thoughts and our motives. Nothing is hid from Him. Look at what it says about the Lord Jesus Christ because the Bible tells us in the New Testament that in two places it says we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And here's what we can read about the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's see if He's like God in holiness. Hebrews 7 and verse 26. For such an high priest became us who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than the heavens. Amen. Amen. What a Savior. What a high priest. What a high priest. How would you like to have a high priest that sinned just like you did? He's not going to stand any better in God's sight than you could. But how about this high priest? For such an high priest became us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners. That is the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know what? If we want to please Him and walk with Him, what we better live like? We better be holy, harmless, undefiled, and separate from sinners. So help us God to be that way, to be like the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you remember the blue ribbon on a fringe from last Sunday? Numbers chapter 15, verses 37 through 41, described that God wanted the Israelites to put in the borders of their garments a fringe, not so that they could have a western look, but so that they could have a holy reminder. A fringe with a blue ribbon upon it. Forever. And do you remember from Numbers 15, why? So that your heart would not go after your own ways, and your eyes would not look after your own things, nor would you go a-whoring anymore, but that you would remember to keep all the commandments of the Lord because of that blue reminder every day, everywhere you went, when you dressed, you took a reminder of God's holiness, and everyone else you saw in Israel had that reminder of holiness on their garments as well. Why? Because I am the Lord thy God, 
I am the Lord thy God that brought thee out of the land of Egypt, and I am holy, for I am the Lord thy God. That's why. Do you remember that? We're talking about blue ribbon holiness. What was the example given of what happened and what kind of a sin it took to lose your life? In the very context we found that a man picking up sticks in the Sabbath day was stoned to death because he did it presumptuously against the Lord. What have you done presumptuously against the Lord? He hasn't changed. Thank God for the Lord Jesus Christ that we may confess our sins to Him and be forgiven. That is a wonderful example of holiness in Numbers chapter 15. I hope you remember it. Let me say it again. It's in Numbers 15. It's called Blue Ribbon Holiness because it's a fringe to be put in their garments. I wish there were fathers that had just a little bit of Numbers 15 in them that would have reminders in their house and a standard in their house for their family that we are going to be a holy family. That when Jesus Christ visits our house, the things He hears being exchanged between us, if the television is ever turned on, or should I say, if there is a television, that what is being broadcast on that is acceptable to the Lord Jesus Christ, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, and separate from sinners, that whatever music is playing is honoring to the Lord Jesus Christ, that all the conduct in that house is acceptable in His sight, that we would have holy fathers and holy mothers that would keep holy families. And then we have parents asking, I just don't know why, when they get to be teenagers, they just want to leave the church and go do their own thing. I just don't understand it. Really? You don't understand it. You've lived a life of hypocrisy and compromise your entire existence and you don't understand it? The Lord understands it. He said you need to put something on your garments that you'll have to face every single day to keep all of my commandments. Are there other examples in the Bible? How about Job in Job chapter 40? Job chapter 40. Job thought he was quite holy. Lord, this isn't fair. Come down here and sit with me and we'll discuss this mano a mano. I'll remind you of all the things that I've done. And then you can see that this isn't fair. I've been a righteous man. Job thought he was quite righteous and quite holy. What did he think about himself after he met the Lord for just a few sentences? Job chapter 40, verses 3 through 5. Then Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I am vile. What shall I answer thee? I will lay my hand upon my mouth. Once have I spoken, but I will not answer. Yea, twice, but I will proceed no further. Job said, I've been shooting off my mouth. You're holy, and I am vile. That's what happens when you meet the Lord of the Bible. If you will read about the Lord of the Bible, if you will meditate on the Lord of the Bible, Psalm 5, Psalm 11, Hebrews 7, Numbers 15, Habakkuk 1, Isaiah 6, 2 Peter 3, wherever you want to go and meditate upon the holiness of God, if you have done it in the Spirit, 
you will respond like Job. Behold, I am vile. Now, he hadn't been talking like that for 40 chapters, had he? He had some of those thoughts in chapters 1 and 2. But in between, he thought he was quite righteous. But as soon as he met the Lord, he said he was vile and he's going to put his hand over his mouth. Because he should stop talking. He said, I've spoken once, I've spoken twice, I've been babbling against you, but I am not going to proceed any further. There's an example. Do you know this God? He does not put up with your foolishness. You'll never touch Job. If you do, we'll count you as an exception. I'm speaking to a whole room full of people. You'll never be like Job. But Job said, after meeting the Lord, I am vile. Chapter 42. Job 42. Verse 5. I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now mine eye seeth thee, wherefore I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. No longer was he in ashes and sackcloth because of his physical judgment from the Lord by way of Satan. Now he's repenting for having opened his mouth. Wherefore, now that I see you more clearly and I understand you better, I abhor myself. He had thought he was pretty... You know, there's whole chapters in here of Job describing of how great he was. And he had quite a resume. He can whip any of us in resume writing. Have you read Job's resume? Like in Job 29, 30, 31. It's impressive. Have you read what God said of Job in Job chapter 1? But Job, when he met the Lord, said, I abhor myself. I am vile. That's what we want to learn. That's what we want to learn. And that's what we want to remember to be acceptable to the God that we're worshiping. Turn to the little book of Haggai, toward the end of your Old Testaments. Haggai, chapter 2. Peter, when he met the Lord Jesus Christ, as I've already mentioned once today, he said, Depart from me, O Lord, for I am a sinful man. He could not grasp the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. It made him feel so wicked. The Lord forgave him, took him on his way, and said, I'm going to make you fishers of men. What about Ananias and Sapphira? Did they encounter the holiness of God? They came into his holy temple, not trusting in a multitude of mercies, but trusting in their lying tongues. And God struck them dead in the church of Jerusalem in Acts chapter 5. How about sinners in the church at Corinth? They were out in the church cemetery or in the hospital because they had played around with the worship of God. They had come into His holy temple and had forgotten how holy He was and thought that they could abuse His supper. When our beloved brother John saw the Lord Jesus Christ in Revelation chapter 1, it says He fell at His feet as dead. Haggai. God raised up two prophets to encourage Israel to rebuild the temple. They are Haggai and Zechariah. Their purposes are very well known. Ezra and Nehemiah speak of them. The context is very simple. A small group of Jews had regathered themselves from Babylon and were back at the big rubbish heap called Jerusalem. And they needed to build the city wall and they needed to build the temple of God. And so God raised up two prophets to help them do so. The whole book of Haggai is about that. They hadn't built the Lord's house. They had built their own houses. They were quite comfortable with their lives. 
They had their fields and they were planting and they were sowing. They were working their jobs. They were making wages. They weren't getting very far ahead. But they were working. They had a life. It's all here. It's all here in this little book. But they hadn't built the Lord's house. And so he, makes an ex- he explains something to them that we want to grasp about God's holiness. Verse 10 of chapter 2. In the four and twentieth day of the ninth month, in the second year of Darius, came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Ask now the priests concerning the law, saying, If one bear holy flesh in the skirt of his garment, and with his skirt do touch bread, or pottage, or wine, or oil, or any meat, shall it be holy? And the priest answered and said, No. Then said Haggai, If one that is unclean by a dead body touch any of these, shall it be unclean? And the priest answered and said, It shall be unclean. Then answered Haggai and said, So is this people, and so is this nation before me, saith the Lord. And so is every work of their hands, and that which they offer there is unclean. What is the lesson here? There was one problem in their lives. They had not built the temple of the Lord. They had profaned the holy God by by making their houses more important than His house. I can tell you something right now. If you don't seek first the kingdom of God, He's going to rain on your parade. Because He is a holy God. His house deserves precedence over our house. Time with Him deserves precedence over time for us. They had not built His house, but they had built their houses. And so, Haggai the prophet brings an object lesson to them from the law of God. If a priest is carrying a piece of holy flesh from the altar of God in the skirt of his garment. You can imagine. He's got himself a nice pork loin there weighing 10 pounds in the skirt of his garment, and he's walking away from the altar of God, and he bumps into several things. The question to the priest was, if he's carrying something holy, and he bumps into other things that have not been consecrated, will it make them holy? What was the answer? No. What if he's touched a dead body and he's unclean and he bumps into those things? Will he make those things unclean? They will be unclean. What is the lesson? Because they hadn't built the house of God, everything they were doing was unclean. If you say to yourself, I'm doing a couple things right in my life, they will not make the rest of your life right. The things that you are doing wrong and that are unholy in the sight of God will make everything else you're doing unholy. I'm not making this up. This is the Word of God. This is the object lesson He gave for people that did not put the house of God first in their priorities. Because you didn't put the house of God first in your priorities, I'm blasting everything else in your lives. They were earning wages to put it into a bag with holes in it and it was dribbling away. Everything they tried to do, God blew against them. You will not succeed. Because God is holy. And if there's one area in your life that isn't holy, then that will infect and ruin all the other areas and make them unclean. That is not how we reason, is it? We reason this way, as long as I'm a 55% good guy, I'm pretty good. Because we're so mathematically inclined, which is ridiculous. 
Because math isn't holiness. God operates above mathematics. Always has, always will. He just gave mathematics for little morons like us to have a few little rules that will get us through life. I had to write someone this week who wanted to understand why in Proverbs chapter 11, in one of my commentaries, I had written 10 minus 2 equals 13. And so I had to write and explain to him that we don't have new math in the United States this bad yet. What we have is that God operates above the rules of mathematics. Shoes don't last for 40 years. But when God tells them to last for 40 years, they last for 40 years. Deuteronomy chapter 8. When Elisha tells a widow, you go borrow all the vessels that you can and put them in your house and take your little cruise of oil off the shelf and start pouring, I want to tell you something. She didn't go read any books about modeling or physics or chemistry or mathematics. She just kept pouring. She said, sons, go borrow all that you can. We think that because we're 55% holy, we're holy enough. We may measure ourselves at 90% holy. But you know what the Lord's saying? If you've got an unholy part of your life, it pollutes and corrupts the rest of your life. May God bless us to search out every sin that easily besets us, those favorite sins of ours, those little sins, and root them out of our lives and confess them to God and hate and despise them and trample them under our feet and go forward in holiness. You cannot please the Lord. If you have an unholy part of your life that you haven't confessed, it will pollute the rest. Look at Ezekiel chapter 20. Ezekiel chapter 20. If you ever wanted to follow someone who was a straight shooter and always told the truth and just laid it out there and blasted evildoers and wrongdoers, then you should love the Lord God of heaven who wrote this Bible. Because this Bible doesn't play games. That little passage I just read to you from Haggai, that is so different from us. Do you know what? In our society, they give an A for effort. An A for effort. For what? Effort? How about A for accomplishment? The Lord didn't care about their efforts. Their efforts were they were offering sacrifices. Their efforts were totally unacceptable. I won't accept your sacrifices. I don't care about your effort. The Lord doesn't give an A for effort. He gives an A for accomplishment. What have you accomplished in the way of holiness? What have you torn out of your lives? Have you been like Josiah? And when you were 16 years old, and then when you were 20, and then when you were 26, you had stages of a revival in Judah because you ripped things out of your life. God accepts that. Listen to this verse. Ezekiel chapter 20. This is standard fare in the Word of God. You'll remember from last Lord's Day, I mentioned... Joshua chapter 24, verse 19. Everyone wants to run to verse 15. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. But in verse 19, Joshua told the rest of the nation, ye cannot serve the Lord because He is holy 
and he is a jealous God, he will not forgive your sins and iniquities. And what he meant was, your style of compromise religiously will be unacceptable to God. It will not work. He will not accept you. Because they claimed to worship God while they wandered around in that wilderness. Plus they worshipped Rephan and other gods that they had picked up from the heathen. And, and Joshua knew that about them. And he said, you cannot serve the Lord in the compromising way that you do try to. Same thing right here. Ezekiel 20, verse 39. As for you, O house of Israel, thus saith the Lord God. As for you, O house of Israel, thus saith the Lord God. Go ye, serve ye everyone as idols. And hereafter also, if ye will not hearken unto me, but pollute ye my holy name no more with your gifts and with your idols. Gifts and idols. They were bringing gifts to the Lord, but they were still playing around with idols. And he said, go, just go serve your idols. But don't pollute my holy name anymore because he's holy and his name is holy. Because that little idol over there was corrupting the whole worship. No wonder Jacob told his whole family when he came back to Bethel in Genesis chapter 35, put those strange gods away and get them away from you. We are going to the house of God to worship Him. He knew his family was playing around with false religion. What are we playing around with? What are you playing around with? God will not accept you. He just wants you to go play with it. Go get your fill of it. But don't pollute His holy name anymore by trying to do both. Because He is holy. He is separate from sinners. Look at Revelation chapter 21. Revelation 21. And let's see what kind of people don't get into heaven. Revelation 21. Why don't I start way back at verse 22, just to give you a little context for that last verse. Revelation 21, verse 22. John is having quite a vision of the new heaven and the new earth. And he sees the holy city, New Jerusalem, which is the bride of the Lord Jesus Christ and all the righteous. I saw no temple therein for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb or the temple of it. And the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon, to shine in it. For the glory of God did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. And the nations of them which are saved shall walk in the light of it. And the kings of the earth do bring their glory and honor into it. And the gates of it shall not be shut at all by day, for there shall be no night there. And they shall bring the glory and honor of the nations into it. And there shall in no wise enter into it anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. There shall in no wise, there is no way, there is no wisdom in heaven or on earth that can get a defiled thing into heaven. The only ones that are there are the saved. Those that work in abomination, and the Lord abominates many things. The word abominate means to despise and loathe something. And God abominates by despising and loathing and hating many, many sins. And they're defined for us and listed for us throughout the Bible. Whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie shall not enter in to the holy city, 
or the new Jerusalem or heaven, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. You know, aren't you thankful for that last little clause that starts with but? Do you know that you've worked abomination in the sight of God before? Do you know that you've worked a lie in the sight of God before? But your name is in the Lamb's book of life and it will be covered. But this ought to, this ought to put before us the holiness of God so that we hate anything that's an abomination in the sight of God. And we hate all lying and those that speak leasing because God hates them. This is the holiness of God in its importance and its definition. God is separate from sinners and He despises any compromise with evil. There is no spot in Him. He is totally and perfectly pure and infinitely pure. Past, present, and future. In any way you want to measure Him, His holiness is infinite. And He's glorious in it. It's beautiful. It's what makes Him totally different from all other gods. And those gods are just the imaginations of profane men. Turn in your Bibles to Romans 6. Romans 6. Let me spend a few minutes about God's call to us to be holy. I have just tried to show you how holy God is, how important it is, and how He will not tolerate compromise with sin. Romans 6. Let's start at verse 17. We could read the whole chapter. You know how it starts out? Do you know what you were saying when you were baptized? When you were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and buried beneath those waters and raised up again, you were burying your old man saying, I am dead to sin. I am going to rise in a new life to walk in newness of life. This is the theme of Romans 6. We are dead to the law. Jesus Christ has made us dead to the law legally. And we are dead to sin and the law by having been baptized into Jesus Christ that we're going to come forth to walk in a new life. Let's read about it. Verse 17, But God be thanked. Isn't that the truth? Is that our doctrine of salvation? But God be thanked. I had a dear grandfather. But I will always be haunted by something he said in his ignorance. I cannot wait to get to heaven to meet the man who gave me a gospel track in the train station of Corey, Pennsylvania. God will have mercy on him for that statement. We are thankful for those that were instrumental in our conversion. But I want to tell you, when you get to heaven, you're going to have the same four words that are found in Romans 6, 17. But God be thanked. We are thankful for parents, for grandparents, for those that have helped us in the way of righteousness. But God be thanked. Because it's all of God's grace that we're saved. But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin. But ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. Being then made free from sin, ye became servants of righteousness. I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh. For as ye have yielded your members, servants, to uncleanness and to iniquity unto iniquity, even so now yield your members, servants, 
to righteousness unto holiness. For when ye were the servants of sin, ye were free from righteousness. What fruit had ye then in those things, whereof ye are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now being made free from sin, and become servants to God, ye have your fruit unto holiness, and the end everlasting life. What a contrast between the wickedness that we once lived in, and the righteousness that the gospel has called us to live. Look at the, Paul says, I'm giving you a human illustration because of the weakness of your flesh in grasping these things. There was a time in your life when you looked like you were a servant of uncleanness. You just kept, you did everything uncleanness wanted you to do. You were serving iniquity unto iniquity. Is there any more iniquity that I can do, sir? You were a servant to the master of iniquity and you were obeying it. And what did it bear in your life? Was there anything good in your life? All it works is death. Now you're ashamed of everything you once did, but you were once doing it as a servant. But God be thanked that you heard the truth of the gospel after being born again, and it changed your life, and now you've become servants to righteousness. But notice how it words it. Instead of being a servant of iniquity unto iniquity, like just more and more iniquity, now we are servants to righteousness unto holiness. We want to elevate our obedience in righteousness and we want it to so permeate our whole lives that we move into holiness. We want the fruit of our new servitude to be holiness. And what's the end of it? What's the final goal of holiness? Eternal life. What a difference. When we were serving iniquity as servants to it, we could not deliver ourselves. But God be thanked. That you were once the servants of sin and you were just obeying. We were following the course of this world and the spirit that worketh in the children of disobedience. But now we're following the spirit of God and his word and we've made ourselves servants to righteousness unto holiness. And he's pressing us to do that. He's calling us to do that. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. God has saved us not to live a life of sin. God forbid, as the first two verses of this chapter describe. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? We were baptized to show that we were killing that old man that sinned from iniquity unto iniquity. Now we are servants again. Servants of the Lord Jesus Christ and we live righteousness unto holiness unto eternal life. So, we're servants again. So as you were once a servant in one direction, now we want to be an equally good servant in a different direction, as unto the Lord. Are you a servant this morning of righteousness and holiness? Are you a slave to it? Do you say, yes, Lord, anything you want in this direction of righteousness and holiness, I will give thee. You once gave everything in another direction. And now you're ashamed of some of those things. If the Lord were to drop a big, a, a big screen right now and show us some of the things you and I have done in our lives, we'd all be ashamed, wouldn't we? If all things were to be nakedly put before this congregation, we'd be ashamed. Oh, we went after it with lascivious greed. But now we want to go after righteousness and holiness with the same kind of zeal. Servants of the Most High God because He saved us.
Is that your life now? Is it a little different? Is it a whole lot different? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. But God be thanked. But what are you going to do with your thanksgiving? Let's be slaves of the Lord Jesus Christ. Bond slaves of the Lord Jesus Christ. Tell me, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? How long did it take Saul of Tarsus to come to that conclusion? I'll tell you if the Lord Jesus Christ appeared to you on the road to Damascus or the road to Spartanburg. Tim, I'm thinking of you. If the Lord Jesus Christ were to appear above the brightness of the midday sun, I think you'd say, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? That's a born-again child of God in the presence of the holy Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we want to speak like and think like. Lord, show me. What else is in my life that you want me to tear out? I want to live obediently in righteousness, unto holiness, unto everlasting life for you. Look at chapter 12. I know I used it last Sunday. I'm not using it again because I couldn't think of any others. I'm using it again because I want our young people to know these two verses and never forget them. I believe that most of you older ones know these two verses. These are two verses that should be memorized. Romans 12, 1 and 2, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Could it be said any better? How can we say it any better? I beseech you therefore by the mercies of God, but God be thanked. Ye were the servants of sin. I beseech you therefore by the mercies of God. Look what He has done in saving you. Now you have a reasonable service to give back to Him. And that reasonable service is a holy life. That you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Holy. A sacrifice means that you're going to deny yourself things. You're going to give up things. It's going to have a cost to follow the Lord Jesus Christ this way. But it is a reasonable service to do it. God has not asked of us something unreasonable. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. His commandments are not grievous. They are for the salvation of your soul. And be not conformed. Don't look like the world. Be not conformed. Don't think like they think. Don't talk like they talk. Don't listen to the music they listen to. Don't be conformed to the world. Be transformed. Be different. Be transformed in what way? How? By the renewing of your mind. Get a new mind. Get new thoughts. God has saved you by His mercies. We are to transform ourselves by getting a new mind and thinking a new way by choosing to put the new man on. Those good thoughts don't come from within except they come out of the new man. And we're to put that new man on and think differently. It doesn't matter how your relatives did things. It doesn't matter how your neighbors do them or how your class in school does them. What does God say? Transform yourself. Be different. That ye may prove, you may show and display the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Is that possible? Is that possible? This holy God that I'm talking about, we are able to display and show and prove to men His good and perfect and acceptable will? 
indeed. He's given us the power through the regeneration of the Holy Ghost. And we have a new man that is created in righteousness and true holiness. We are able to do this if we put that new man on and change our way of thinking and live according to God in the flesh and spirit. And it is God's calling us to do it. This is a call. I beseech you. Therefore, brethren, look at Hebrews 12. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 10. Hebrews 12, 10. Paul is wrapping up a little explanation about the chastening purpose of God to work holiness into our lives. When God chastens you and beats you down and brings trouble and affliction into your life, it is to make you holier. Hebrews 12.10 Comparing the Father that we have in heaven with fathers on earth. For they, that is our fathers on earth, verily, for a few days, the years that we're at home, chastened us after their own pleasure to turn us into sons that they liked. But He, for our profit, that we might be partakers of His holiness. When God chastens you, and you know you're under His rod, that things are not working in some part of your life, and you know the Lord is after you, it is for a good purpose. It is for your profit. And what is that profit? Greater holiness in your life. So that you will learn to hate the sin that He hates so much. That we might be partakers of His holiness. Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous. There is nothing happy and exciting about chastening in the present. But grievous, it's painful. Nevertheless, afterward, it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. And do you know how you get exercised by chastening? Get down on your knees and exercise your knees. Get down on your knees and confess your sins and beg God to forgive you for those sins that He's chastening you for. Wherefore? Where, what's wherefore in verse 12? For. What's it there for? Because chastening, while in the present, isn't joyous but grievous. Afterward, it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness. It is a wonderful thing. And thank you, God, for it. Thank you, Lord, for coming after us to get us back into the highway of holiness. Right. Wherefore, lift up the hands which hang down and the feeble knees and make straight paths for your feet lest that which is lame be turned out of the way, but let it rather be healed. Don't let God's chastening beat you down and discourage you. Lift up your heads, go in a straight path, and thank God for the profit of Him directing you back into holiness. Verse 14, Follow peace with all men, and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. Did you hear that? Follow peace with all men, and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled, lest there be any fornicator or profane person, as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. For ye know how that afterward, when he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears." That is a sober passage. We are to be seeking holiness without which we will never see the Lord. 
We cannot let the grace of God fail in our lives. The grace of God has appeared to all men, teaching us that, denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly and righteously in this present world. That's what we should be doing. Lest there be a fornicator or a profane person. That's the opposite of being holy. Profane is the opposite of holiness. It's not regarding anything holy. Like Esau, who because he got hungry, couldn't wait a few minutes to get home and have supper, but sold his birthright. And though he repented carefully with tears, there was no forgiveness for him. It could not be undone. May God grant us the fear of any such thing ever happening to us, that we would be turned away and God would leave us for a space or for the rest of our lives because we have profaned Him. Look at 1 John chapter 2, and with this I close. 1 John 2. The call to holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. Lest, lest, lest there be a fornicator or a profane person. Lest we fail of the grace of God. 1 John 2, verse 15. You know the words well. 1 John 2, 15. Love not the world neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. You cannot love them both. No man can serve two masters. If you're a friend of the world, you're the enemy of God. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh... And the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof, it shall all be destroyed. The end of it is death. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. There's the fruit of holiness unto eternal life, abiding forever. You can't have the world and holiness. Because the world is an unholy place, full of unholy people doing unholy things. And they're doing it with lascivious greed and blatant wickedness in our nation and generation. May God help each of you. May God help me together to remember how holy he is and that he calls us to holiness. If you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive them. And he can put you right back in the highway of holiness. Because he is faithful and just through Jesus Christ our Lord. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word to greater holiness in this church. Amen. Amen.